Well, we're going to pray in just a moment. Um, before we do, I've been asked if, you, there, if there's room to move in in our aisles, if you're able to do that. Our ushers have been asking me to do that. We have folks waiting outside. And as far as problems to have, that's a pretty good one. And uh, so thank you for doing that. really appreciate that. As you're doing that, let's pray, and then we'll open up God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and, and we're grateful for who you are. We praise you for your name. Lord, we do pray that as we just sang, that, that right now, uh, you would pour your spirit out. Lord, that you would make yourself known to us, that you would encourage us from your word, and that you would guide us and lead us closer to you here in this moment. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, uh, back when I was a kid, some of my favorite memories um, were spent wrestling and roughhousing with my dad. I know maybe some of you can relate to that. I remember when we were younger, uh, my brother and I would team up against him. And we would try to take him down, and we couldn't fathom how he was so strong and how he could withstand both of our might. I remember as we got older, um, we started to be able to kind of hold our own a little bit, and eventually it became every man for himself. And I remember one point in particular, uh, my dad and I, we were wrestling, we were in our living room, and we were on the floor, and I tackled him um, into the leg of one of our couches. And I remember as soon as I did that, I knew something had happened. And it turned out that what had happened is that I had broken one of his ribs. <laughs> and this is going to sound terrible, but I was so proud of myself. Like, <laughs> you guys, I, that, that moment changed my life. That was the day I became a man. Like, I'm a rib breaker. And it was great. You would think that would have been the end of our wrestling careers, but my dad was no quitter. And so as soon as he recovered, we were back in the ring. And I cannot wait until the day that my son breaks one of my bones. That is a proud Scavato rite of passage. Today, though, I want to tell you a story about another man who had a wrestling match that changed his life. If you've been tracking with us, we've been in this series, we've called it By Faith. This exploration of Hebrews 11, this faith hall of fame that's been kind of showing us and looking at different people in Scripture and the faith that we see in their lives. We've seen these examples to, to learn from and to observe and ultimately to live out in our own lives today. We spent the last two weeks looking at uh, the story of someone who's sometimes referred to as the father of our faith, a man known as Abraham and his wife Sarah and their son Isaac, and just the incredible displays of faith that we see in their lives, even when they were not perfect people. And today, we're continuing in our journey through Hebrews 11, and we're looking at Abraham and Sarah's grandson, Isaac's son, Jacob, as we look at what it means to wrestle by faith. And so today, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read just two verses from this Faith Hall of Fame, and we're going to talk about what it means to wrestle by faith. This is Hebrews 11, starting in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on top of his staff. So, did you see what we're being shown here? Jacob was blessed, and then he blessed others. These two verses are kind of a, a, a bookend to Jacob's story of, of the beginning and the end of his journey of faith, how, how throughout his life, Jacob shows us all of these complicated and, and messy things about what it means to live by faith. Some of you know Jacob's story, how before he was born, God chose him over his brother Esau, before they were born, to receive this blessing, this promise that we've been looking at these past couple of weeks, that, that through Abraham and through Isaac and now through Jacob, this great nation would form that would change the world forever. 
The theme of much of Jacob's life is that for years, he tried to achieve this promise rather than to receive it from God. We're told that Jacob came out of the womb grasping the heel, holding on to his brother Esau, striving to be the firstborn to receive this promise. We're told that he talked his brother out of his birthright, deceived his father out of the blessing, went on the run because Esau had vowed that the next time that he saw his brother Jacob, he was going to kill him. And yet, something happens in Jacob's life where thousands of years later he is remembered not because of his mistakes, but because of his faith. Because he worshiped God, because he blessed his children and his grandchildren that would make up these 12 tribes that would become this great nation that was promised. And so our goal today is to look at what that thing is, what that that moment of transformation looked like where he enters into this deeper level of faith, this moment where his life is changed forever, this moment where, God, where, where Jacob wrestles with God, where he clings to God, and then when he is blessed by God. So today, let's start with the moment that Jacob wrestles with God. If you have a Bible, turn all the way back to Genesis. Uh, we're going to start in chapter 32, starting in verse 22. It says this, the same night he, that's Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Uh, Back when we were kids, my brother and I, we had this tradition when we visited our grandparents uh, where we would wake up our grandfather every morning by going into his room and attacking him. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and, and we, he loved to sleep in, and so eventually it got to the point every morning where our grandma decided he had slept enough, and so she gave us the all clear, and so we kind of snuck in, and I'm sure he heard us coming because we were probably really loud, but can you imagine a worse way to wake up than screaming children attacking you? Like, that sounds terrible. By the way, this is the same grandfather that I talked about a, a while ago. You might remember he fought in World War II, and he was basically a war hero. Like, the man deserved all the sleep he wanted. We did not care. We had to wake him up. I was reminded, though, of those times in in reading this story about Jacob, this this moment that changed his life forever. We're told this, look at, at verse 24 with me, that Jacob was all alone at night, and out of nowhere, a man shows up and attacks him, and they fight each other all night long. Now, this is so strange, isn't it? What a strange story. How do we make sense of this? And in fact, it's actually made stranger when we learn who this man is. We don't see this here, but we can see it if we look ahead a little bit to to verse 30, that Jacob recognizes something, that this is no ordinary man that he is dealing with, that he is wrestling with God. He says this, that he saw God face to face in this moment. Now, scholars go back and forth on on what this means, if this was an angel of God or if this was a a manifestation of Jesus himself. If you want to learn a fancy word today, Christophany is what that's called of Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And and many scholars believe that that this is what had happened, that this is an appearance of Jesus. Either way, though, Jacob has found himself in a supernatural wrestling match. Now, all of this happens, by the way, in a moment where Jacob is alone. Did you see that? Look again to verse 24. We see this, that Jacob was left alone, that he sent his family and his servants ahead of him. There's, There's no one else around. And that is when God shows up. This is the first thing that we see in the story, the first lesson that we can take, that that Jacob encountered God all alone, and so must we. 
Jacob encountered God all alone. So must we. Some of you know this. Uh, Part of my job here at Chapel Street is overseeing the Rooted program. Some of you have gone through that before. And and part of the Rooted experience is, is doing something called a prayer experience, where you gather together with your Rooted group and you pray with each other, and then you go off on your own and you pray by yourself for an extended period of time. And every time we do this, we, we uh, hear from people that it, it's kind of an intimidating concept. They're not sure if they'll be able to do it, and, and it's, it's very unsure and, and unknown. And yet every time we hear the same thing, that that was so much better than I thought it was going to be. That things happen, that breakthroughs occur. Why? Because oftentimes it is when we are alone, when we turn off all the noise that we're so accustomed to when we eliminate distractions for longer than we're used to. Oftentimes it is then that we are able to hear God's voice. This is why Jesus would do this so often. We see this in Luke chapter five, that he would often go away to quiet and desolate and lonely places to experience the presence of his father. Can I ask you a question today? When was the last time that you had a moment alone with your heavenly father? No music, no noise, no people, nothing. Just an opportunity for you to hear from him. Can I challenge you today, if if it's been a while for you, to have your own prayer experience this week. Take an hour of your week. Turn everything off. Open your Bible and ask God to show up as he did for Jacob and just see what happens. Jacob wrestles with God. Think for just a moment about all the ways that God shows up in Scripture. Think about all the things that we're told through, through angels, through a burning bush, through dreams, in a whisper, as a baby. There's so many ways. Can I ask you another question? Why did God show up in Jacob's life in this way? Why here and only here does God show up not to bring comfort, but to attack, to bring confrontation into Jacob's life? Why this? When earlier in Genesis 32, we're told that Jacob is crying out to God, asking God to deliver him, to bring help, to bring comfort. It's this moment of fear and vulnerability in his life. Why does God instead bring attack? Look at verse 11 with me of of Genesis 32. This is Jacob crying out, saying, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me. The mother's with the children. Now, remember Jacob's story that we talked about, that he had outsmarted and deceived his family, and because of that, he has lived the last 20 years of his life on the run. And here, in this moment, God has told him to return home for the first time. He is on his way to meet with his brother Esau, and he has just found out that Esau has brought 400 men for this meeting. 400 men, this small army, and so Jacob is crying out, God, deliver me, help me, save me from my enemy. And this is what God says in response. He says, Jacob, there is an enemy in your life, but it isn't your brother. It isn't your father. It's you. Jacob, you are your own worst enemy. Your choices, your self-reliance, your desire for control is the reason you are on the run and the reason for your fear. And tonight, once and for all, there is a choice that you have to make. What kind of life you're going to live. This is why God shows up to fight. This physical representation of this spiritual reality. God's will versus my will. 
God's ways versus my ways, God's good versus my good, who is going to win out tonight? When we weren't fighting uh, my, my dad or my grandfather, my, my brother and I often found ourselves fighting each other, uh, as brothers do. By the way, it was concerning to me how many fighting illustrations I could think of for this sermon. I might have to work on some stuff. But I remember one time in particular this happened, and my dad uh, took me down to the basement to kind of separate us, to, to cool us down. And I just remember being so angry that I tried to get back up those stairs and keep the fight going. And, and over and over again, my, my dad just sat down and would just stop me every time. He, he wouldn't budge. I, I tried to get past him and dodge past him and do anything I could think of. And, and every time he would just grab me and hold on to me and keep me from this fight because he knew that that was not a fight that I needed to be in. This, I think, is the picture of what God is doing in this story. This is why he shows up in this strange way, why he confronts Jacob rather than comforting him. Not because he's mad, but because he loves him. This is something that if you're a parent, maybe you have a, a sense of, of the times when you've confronted your child or, or corrected their behavior or kept them from doing something that they wanted to do. Not because you wanted to keep them from being happy, but because you knew where the, that plan was going. You knew that it wasn't going to lead them in the right way. This is what God is doing here, saying, Jacob, I love you too much to keep fighting battles that, that you don't need to be fighting. I love you too much to keep letting you walk down this path that is defined by idols of self-reliance and control. This is where it leads you, all alone, crying out in fear, asking for deliverance in the face of 400 men. This is what it means to wrestle by faith, to surrender our will and our ways and our good away from ourselves and towards the one who loves us as a father does. Jacob wrestled with God. Next we see that Jacob clings to God. Jacob clings to God. Uh, back when I was a youth pastor, there was a game that we played called Nine Square in the Air. Has anybody heard of that game or played it before? Uh, I brought a picture with me in case you're not familiar with it. it it's kind of like a, a cross between uh, four square and volleyball. It's great. Uh, and so we would play this, and normally when we would play, uh, I would go at about 50%. You know, I'm trying to make sure everyone's having a good time, and, and so we, we're not going, you know, not going too hard, not trying to break any records. And, and every once in a while, we would have a student that would start to think that they were a little bit better than they were. They started to feel themselves a little too much and, and start talking back a little bit. And that's when I got to teach them the lesson of humility. <laughs> Those are my favorite times. And, and we would kind of just dial it up a little bit. And, and I remember one time in particular, uh, this was happening. And, and I went up and I spiked the ball. And it's like a beach ball. So before I tell the rest of the story, it's fine. <laughs> I spiked the ball. It hit a student in the head. It bounced up. I spiked it again and hit him in the head again. <laughs> and it was the very best. <laughs> and I was worried that I was gonna get an email or something from his parents. I think they sent me a thank you card. Like they were, they were grateful. <laughs> By the way, there's only one person in the world that scares me playing nine square and it is my wife. She is, she gets so competitive, it's terrifying. Anyways, I was reminded of those times when I, when I read the next part of this story. Let me read this for you. This is verse 25. In Genesis 32, it says, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So this here is the turning point of, of not just our story here, but Jacob's entire journey of faith. 
It's important for us to note that Jacob was a complicated and messy person, but, but he wasn't just the, the swindler or the trickster that some people make him out to be. He had flaws, of course, but in many ways in his life, he was trying to seek God. In fact, the only reason he was heading back to meet with his brother Esau is because God told him to. This was a step of faith, a step of obedience that he was taking. His flaws, at least in part, are due to the dysfunction that he experienced in his family. In fact, many people have pointed to Jacob's life as what happens when you experience a father wound, when you don't experience the love that you need from your dad, where Isaac openly prefers Esau as a a child. By the way, isn't there something uh, encouraging or at least relatable that these are our heroes of the faith? Isn't there something encouraging if, if you know what it's like to have a dysfunctional family? If you know what it's like to, to have things not go as you wished they would go, if you're estranged from someone that you love, that, that God still uses dysfunction? That God can not only use dysfunction, but that he can redeem it? That these are the heroes of our faith? All of this leads to this next part of the story. We see in verse 25 that, that after hours of wrestling, God touches or he, he strikes this hip socket and wrenches it out of place. And immediately Jacob has to realize what those students had to realize playing nine square, that they were completely outmatched. He's been giving everything that he had. So far this wrestling match has been a draw, but it turns out that it isn't even a contest. That God could have done this at any moment to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, that we have a God that isn't safe, even if he is good. This should make us a little bit uncomfortable, this picture of God that we have been given. A God that will wrestle us when we need to. A God that will do whatever it takes to bring us back to him. Here's a question. Why did God wait so long to bring out this finishing move? Why not do it right away? Why even show up as a man? Why not just do it with this supernatural power? He's clearly not lacking in that department. Why? Well, because this is what God does. This is the beauty of the gospel, the thing that sets our faith apart, that we have a God that humbles himself. We have a God willing to make himself weak. We have a God that does not wait for us to get to him, but is so full of love that he comes down to us that he has such a desire to be in relationship with you, that he was willing to endure the cross on your behalf. This is what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter two. Chapter two, verse eight, he says, being found in human form, he, that's Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, don't miss this today, that, that the story of Jacob is not some weird cosmic punishment. It is not some strange fever dream. It's not irrelevant to our lives. It is a picture of what Jesus has done and continues to do on our behalf. That he humbled himself, emptied himself, entered into our messiness and our brokenness that we might cling to him with all that is within us. This is the turning point of Jacob's life. It's the next thing that we see here about a life of faith. That oftentimes God will use brokenness to bring blessing. God will use brokenness to bring blessing. He knew three things about Jacob in this moment. He knew that Jacob needed to be broken of certain habits, of his self-reliance, of his selfishness, of his willing to do whatever was needed to get what he wanted. 
He knew that Jacob had been longing for blessing and for love and for acceptance, and he had looked everywhere in the world to find it, to himself and to others and to wealth and to status. And he knew that it was only in his brokenness that he would surrender to God for this blessing. This is what this whole fight has been about. Looking at it, verse 26. This has been God's desire for Jacob's life, for for Jacob to stop striving and contending and fighting against God and with everything that he has to cling to him, to refuse to let go, no matter what. This is a picture of faith, of Jacob finally surrendering, finally letting go of himself and holding on to God. Timothy Keller, who's a a pastor in, in New York, posted this actually yesterday. It was perfect timing for my sermon prep. He said this, It is only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learn how to completely depend on God. This is what Jacob had to learn. And what the story shows us is that God will use brokenness and pain and hardship. He will use these moments to remind us just how much we need him. He will use brokenness to bring blessing. Paul talks about this as well in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This may be familiar to some of you. He's talking about this. He calls it a thorn of the flesh, this, this weakness that we don't know much about, but that has uh, kept, him, kept him to relying on God. He says this in verse 9. He, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the hope that we hold on to today. Especially if you are going through a season of weakness or of pain or of wrestling yourself. That when we live by faith, that we can declare this to be true. That when I am weak, I am strong. Why? Because the exact thing that Jacob shows us in this story, that it is in our weakness that we remember to cling to God, in our brokenness that we are ready for blessing. God is about to give Jacob everything that he has longed for. We're about to see it in this story. But he knew that before he could give him this blessing, he had to get him here first. Jacob, enough striving. Enough proving you're enough. Enough doing it on your own. Maybe like Jacob, like so many of us here today, you can think of a time in your life of of difficulty and of hardship or of grief, and, and you would never go back to that time, would you? But looking back, you can see that that moment, that experience, that season was when God did some of his greatest work in your life. Maybe this hardship that you're going through today, this this difficulty, maybe it's preparing you for a blessing beyond anything you can imagine. Jacob clings to God. That brings us to the last part of our story. Jacob is blessed by God. He's blessed by God. Let me finish this picking up in uh, verse 27 of our story. He said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. 
So this is the blessing that Jacob receives after all this time. A new name and a limp. It doesn't seem like much, does it? But notice this, he receives this this new name in verse 28 that that no longer will he be called Jacob, but Israel. This word meaning he who struggles with God or God rules. We saw this a few weeks ago with with Abraham and with Sarah, that when God gives a a new name, that's always indicative of identity. That God is saying something about who Jacob is. That Jacob, meaning heel grabber or, or supplanter or even deceiver, is no longer who you are that you have been given a new name, a new identity, that, that through this wrestling with God, a transformation has taken place. Uh, back when Judy was, was pregnant, we had a really difficult time figuring out what to name our son. We had a lot of girl names we liked, not a lot of boy names. And uh, we actually didn't decide on his name until the night before he was born, Luca David Scavato. Some of you have asked if there's significance behind those names or, or if they named him after someone. Uh, but the truth is that we really like what those names mean. David, which was my father's name, meaning beloved. And Luca, meaning bringer of light. See, this is our hope for our son. That he would be a bringer of light. That he would bring the light of Jesus wherever he goes and whatever he becomes. And that he would know that he is beloved. See, this is what God is doing with Jacob, saying, I have given you a new name with significance and with meaning, this name that would become the name of an entire nation. And my hope is that you would live in what it represents. This is what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that that when we are in Christ, we are new creations with new identities. The old is gone and the new has arrived. This is what it means to be born again. To be a follower of Jesus is not about being a better version of yourself, not about just doing good things, not about following rules. Faith is not about God making bad people good. It is about him making dead people come alive. This is what Jacob shows us in the story, that when we live by faith, I leave behind my old ways and my old habits and my old hangups and my old sources of strength. I leave it all behind because I have been made Jacob was given a new name. Here's the second part of his blessing, verse 31. He was given a reminder of this night, that for the rest of his life, he would walk with a limp. Do you remember where we started today? Go back to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. In verse 21, we see this, that that by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And, And this is why he had to lean that day. Because from this day forward, Jacob has been marked, not just spiritually, but physically as well, by what happened when you have an encounter with God. See, this turning point, this wrestling, this clinging, this new identity, all of it led to this transformation where Jacob gained two things that we must consider for ourselves as well, humility and reliance on God. Humility and reliance. Here's the last lesson of our story, that if you want to know if someone has truly encountered the grace of Jesus, if you want to find a spouse, if you are looking for a mentor, if for some reason you ever look for a new church in your life, look for these two things, reliance on God and humility. These are the marks that someone is encountering Jesus, living by faith. This is what this limp represents, that, that when, he went, when he went to meet with Esau that next morning, there was no chance of escape. 
There was nothing he could do. He couldn't outrun him. He had to rely on God. He had to rely on the promises that he had been given that God would deliver him and bless him, that God would carry out this covenant through him. All of these things could not be achieved. They had to be received in faith. Today as we close, I just want you uh, to consider something for just a moment. I want to invite you to consider if there is something in your life where you have yet to rely on God. If there's something that you're holding back, holding on to, wrestling with. Maybe today you've come to that place where you must decide if it's God's will and God's ways and God's good or your own. You know that in this room there are different situations, different struggles, different wrestling matches going on. Today I just want to invite you to consider Jacob's story the example of faith that he gives us. And remember that true blessing and true peace and true comfort and true healing only comes when we surrender our lives fully to him. Let us be people of surrender today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you again um, and we're grateful for the promises that are in your word. We're grateful that we don't have to be perfect for you to use us, that that you are used to using broken people. Father, today I I do pray for for those of us that find ourselves wrestling with you, struggling with your promises, struggling with faith even. Father, in this moment, would you remind us what it means to be people of surrender? Would you remind us that you've promised to be with us, that you've promised that you know what is best for us? Would you allow us to walk in that today? We love you so much, and we pray this in your heavenly name. Amen.